Hi, I'm Lawrence Diamond. And I'm Bob Matthews. And this is The Process of Production. Uh, Mate, how's your week been? It's been very good, thank you. And I'm really excited because when this episode airs on Monday the 17th, we should, here in the UK, be allowed to hug each other again and go around each other's houses again and be inside with each other. Uh, and like that's that's huge if you've got a home studio um well obviously most importantly if you've got loved ones you haven't hugged yes for for the process of productions viewpoint if you have a home studio or even if you have a workspace studio that you didn't feel confident yeah kind of classifying it as work necessarily and and whatever it was it was a bit of a gray area for me am i allowed to do sessions uh maybe um i think yeah i think technically you were but it still felt a bit weird didn't it um, yes, but yeah. Now, now, now it, it all bets are off, or all bets are on, on, and you can you can get people around, and you can start working in the room together. And that's look, Zoom sessions have been life saving. We've done a lot of work on this podcast through Zoom. Yep. It's you know, I'm so glad it will be part of my life going forward. Mm-hmm. But wow, being in a room with someone making music is the reason to make me. That's why. Yep. That's how you start making music. Really, that's. Yeah, so what you love about it. So yeah, happy uh, mingling, everyone. Um, stay safe, but uh, yes, you know, of course, we, the guidelines have shifted. So uh, I think it's cause for celebration today. And it's interesting because that feeds into something we talk about. Um, our interview this week is with George Reed. Yeah, um, he is the George of Aluna George, who are an amazing act. Release some music at the beginning of the early tens. That sort of defined the sound. Very much. I'm sure most of you out there have heard of them, but if you haven't, go go and check out their their stuff. It's awesome. Fantastic. And is now developing a career as a producer outside of that. And he talked about something that we thought sort of tied into this. And me and Bob have talked about, and I'm sure all of you who run sessions or go to sessions, like this is something that you think about. And he's talking about start times for sessions. Yeah, I, I this is this is big for me. So yeah. Go ahead. One of the best things about being in, meeting in person is you can really get to know someone, and that is really important. I love that first but, hour of sessions yeah. before you, whether you know them or not, either getting to know them or catching up is, is so key. And it often triggers what you might write about that day or what you're going to work on that day. Yeah. But there's a flip side, and George talks about it, and it's that thing of you aim for an 11 a.m. start. The person might not have been to your studio before. They get the train wrong. They've also been out the night before. Then they say they're going to be at yours at 12.30, but it becomes 12.45. And then you're sitting down to catch up at one. And then you're starting making music at two. Someone's hungry. Yeah. And it's half four. And you're like, what is going on? Yeah. I, I, I really feel this because I, as regular listeners will know, we both think that food is quite an important part of the day when you're making music. And you've kind of kind of got to plan it a tiny bit, like yeah. uh, figure out how it's going to fit into your creative process because you don't want it to kind of be a bump in the road. You want it to kind of be a welcome break and then come back to some some good work that you've done. So I I kind of, whenever someone goes, oh, should we just start at 12? My first thought is always like, Okay, yeah, but when are we going to have lunch? You know? yeah. <laughs> am I going to have or, a really or, early one? Or? <laughs> or are we starting at 12 and that means you'll be an hour late and you'll be at one? Whereas if we start at 11 and you're an hour late, will you be here at 12? Yeah, and, and yeah, like usually within a couple of sessions, you get to know with artists, okay, they're a late one. 
or they're a really late one. And yes. very rarely <laughs> and, you get one that's on time. As you <laughs> used to say to me, um, music production, the only job where the start time is 11 and everyone's still late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Well, yeah, so what we should say is in the interview, George mm. talks about starting a campaign for earlier start times. Yeah. So that this lunch hump comes after two hours work yeah george sums it up really well so we'll, we'll let him do that but i think uh, maybe this is something we're going to revisit on the podcast in the future and see if we can uh, get a ground yeah, if you have swell. any if you have any thoughts on it like reach out to us um one of my thoughts that i've had from running sessions and, and going to sessions is um as a producer i don't mind half an hour late no love it i always find that actually in that half hour i can get a lot done yeah and i've even like I'll always start two hours early anyway, so that at the if they are on time, yeah. I've done that work. Yeah. But then if or basically always, particularly if you're doing three or four in a week, if someone is half an hour late, you're like brilliant. Yes, I, I can now do X, Y, and Z that I hadn't planned to do. Yeah, I don't think I've, um, I've ever got a text from an artist being like, "I'm going to be late," and then been annoyed. It, it's, yes, it's always like it's just cool. when it becomes. Here's the thing: if you're an artist going to sessions and you're going to be late, you're probably a bit embarrassed that you're going to be late. Don't be. Yeah. Be honest about how late you're going to yeah, be. Yeah, don't be like in the first I, text. I'm just around the corner. I'll be 10 or 15 minutes when you're actually an hour away. Just say you're going to be yes. an hour away. Gives us a Perfect. chance to write a whole new beat or something before you get yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's totally useful. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that's one of the things we take out this. And, and Bob's right. George talks about it better. But um, the process of production campaign for earlier starts begins today yeah not too early no one's saying you have to get out of bed at seven come on we're in the music industry here let's not go yeah crazy. there's a reason yeah, yeah there's a reason we accept no pay and terrible conditions yeah. it's uh yeah. you get to have some kind of life yeah. but um before we get to the interview uh this is our fifth episode now um which is so exciting and you've you guys have already already started to write to us reach out to us on the socials please keep doing it we love to get it all um you can email us on process of production podcast at gmail.com and our Instagram is at process of production. Tag us, follow us, write to us. Just let us know you're enjoying the podcast. It's been great to hear from you so far. Super excited about what's coming. So thanks for, thanks for listening to us until this point. And uh, George Reed, take it away. Let's go. George Reed began his music career playing guitar in cult math rock band Color before teaming up with singer Aluna Francis to form electronic pop duo Aluna George. It proved a fruitful partnership and their early releases led to a shortlisting for the BBC Sound of 2013 poll as well as a nomination for the Brits Critics' Choice Award. Later that year, they released the self-produced debut album Body Music and scored a hit in collaboration with Disclosure on White Noise, which reached number two in the UK singles chart. George has since turned his talents to working with other acts out of his home studio in New Malden, including producing Spice Girl Mel C and remixing Coldplay. We begin by talking to him about that shift from artist to producer and delve into his process of production. Well, why don't we start with how that transition happened? Like, when did you start producing other people? Uh, and right. was that something you always wanted to do? Um, well, yeah, from the off, it was always something I wanted to do. I don't know about yourself, but for me, like being in a, a group or a band, whatever you want to call it, was was a way that I could make music and get to call myself a producer because yes. no one else was going to listen to. And like, I guess why would they? You say you can make music, yeah. but if you've got nothing to show for it, it's hard to convince talented people to put their faith in you. So I just sort of started doing that. And then by accident, that kind of becomes your you showcasing what you could potentially do. Uh -huh. Like With the case with the Lunar, it just sort of got 
really out of hand and sort of took off. Like. <laughs> right, that's amazing. So, so your goal in, from the offset was to be a producer. You didn't necessarily want an art, a career as an artist. Um, but it it was by accident, to be completely yeah. honest. It was because we got on so well, like like musically, and we both got excited by what we made. Like working with her, it was, it was very much a case of after one or two days, just going, why don't more people know who you are? Yeah. I, I can't speak for Luna. I didn't know whether she wanted to be a big singer or if she just really liked the music we were making, we thought was good. And it just sort of snowballed into whatever. There was literally, there was no intention of anything other than this sounds better than anything either of us were doing with other people. So let's keep meeting up once a week and writing a song. That was literally awesome. how it was at... Just writing for the sake of it. Um, me and Bob have kind of talked about this for producers coming up, and you kind of alluded to it there. It it kind of works both ways because as a producer, when you're learning or when you're on your first big project, there's a lot of pressure if someone's been sent to you to make a tune. But if it's kind of someone that you just have a vibe with, they kind of almost become, it's almost like your undergrad or like your kind of hot housing thing because you're both just on this vibe of like, I want this to sound amazing, and they don't care if you're not, if the mic's f***ed up that day, they know they'll be back the next week. And Whereas if a big artist comes in and you're like, you have 24 hours to make a song, like it makes for a oh, much yeah, more that, organic experience. That'd be horrifying. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately that's like what a lot of people are having to do day to day, whereas yourself and Aluna, as you say, six or seven months, like this is just fun and it sounds great. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's, you get to um, learn in a safe environment, I think, like that. And, and an environment where you you have another critical ear yeah with you and it's and you can sort of both just kind of go something's not right i don't know what's not right hang on why is this microphone not working right yeah you know like yeah. all those really embarrassing things which you know still happen yeah. to this day because whatever it's always amateur hour here like <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> embracing the amateur hour is one of the biggest lessons i think <laughs> you can learn right Every now and again, you'll just turn everything on and something's making a noise. Someone's sitting next to me going, what's this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely have that. But back to your point, yeah, no, it, it, is, it is kind of like that. Um, you get to both learn from each other as well, like the process of, oh, you can just make a song in a day. Again, I know that sounds really basic, but at that point in my life, I hadn't really done that. I don't even ever mm. been in bands where you turn up to a band practice and you potentially jam out someone's idea and piece it together over a couple of weeks. I don't know. It might, it might be different now. It's just, um, we're going back like 10 years or so. But, right. Well, what about the sessions you're, you're doing more recently with other, with other artists? Are they, are you turning up on the day with, with nothing like, and doing a song in a day, like you might've done with the lunar or, or has that process changed? Yeah. I mean, I've, it's, I've cut back on sessions a fair bit in the last couple of years. I went through a phase of just saying yes to everything. I got really burnt out and right. quite unsatisfied with the music I was making. I wasn't working with the right artists. You know, that was that's on me as well. I just wasn't satisfied with it. So I took a step back and really just focused in on people I wanted to work with that I thought had something unique. Not sure whether they're going to make it quote unquote but yeah. if what they were bringing to the table was exciting me I'd rather do two sessions a month with someone like that yeah. rather than 
20 sessions a month with everybody. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of what I've been doing. Cause, and so back to what you were asking, um, from my end, I always kind of felt it a slight like professional courtesy to have ideas yeah. before a session. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd see who it was and go, right, let's get 32 bars done. Let's get yeah. four or five different options just in case they don't want to start from scratch. Yeah. Majority of people yeah. kind of do, I, I found. Because it's, I, I don't know, like you guys tell me, I've, some people don't like writing to a fairly produced idea. It's too much. We've we've talked about this between the two of us quite a lot, actually. Like, is it important to make starters? And like, if so, when do you use them? And I think we've we've both agreed that we kind of use them as a backup, like, um, or, or just something to get ideas flowing. Like, whereas it's more, yeah, it's more likely the artist is going to want to start from scratch and just be inspired by a sound or um, maybe a melody they've written on the way there or something, rather than. Um, because it's when you write those starters, it's hard to to know how much to put into them. Like, yeah, is it yeah. just the beat, or do you put some chords in and start writing a melody as well? Like, you, you need to give the artist some room to put their own stamp on it, right? So it's hard to judge. Yeah, totally. It's and as well, like from a selfish standpoint, I, I find it hard to make an eight bar loop of just piano chords and go, "That sounds cool." Someone's <laughs> yeah. definitely going to vibe. You like, I tend to overproduce those starter ideas, so you kind of have to rein it back in before you mm. put it forward to someone like to be fair my favorite thing when i am working with another artist if they come in and go right i was thinking can we have something that's like this meets this or yeah yeah have you heard that have you heard this baseline in this song can we do something like that you go perfect yes yeah let's go <laughs> i couldn't agree more yeah yeah like, it's, it's so nice when they're feeling inspired to do something and it just gives you a starting point well, it's, it's that thing as well where I think with all really good artists, is they're leading you rather than you're leading them. Yeah, mm. it's like you're helping them achieve what they're trying to do rather than going exactly check out this sound I've made or whatever. It's exactly exactly. And also, it's nice when they're coming in with things that are a bit more out there. Like I work with one girl who came in with diary entries and be like, "This is what the song is." Yeah, no, for sure. If someone's just got a strong idea of who they are, either lyrically or musically then you're onto a winner, really. Mm. It's it's the um I, I, I found it quite sad and not not depressing, but just when you see and this is what I was finding a bit when I was overdoing it, was you'd mm. you'd meet eighteen to twenty three year old signed to this label recently or on the way to signing their deal and they're already jaded by sessions. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's something just it feels super tragic about that. And it's they've got someone in their ear saying, work with this person, this person. They've got no consistency to what they're doing. Mm. And I guess in a way, that's kind of what your management made sure you and Aluna avoided in a way. Like they realized you and her had something special. Because one thing I was saying to Bob before we did this um, interview, I, I went back and listened to body music. That's just so much work that you've both put into it. Like now that two people would make a record like that, and make that many songs and there wouldn't be outside producers and outside writers. I mean, that's an, an amazing body of work. Whereas now, as you say, someone would have been put in with 20 producers, 20 writers. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, to be fair, we were lucky enough to be given that opportunity to be left alone to do it. Mm. I think that's a problem a lot of people have. Um, it's when people get, when A&Rs and managers get nervous about a project, they go, what do I think works who's had a hit recently and they sort of throw mm. 
their artists in with you know the really talented people but it might just not be right for that artist yeah. um did, did you not have any of that on our first album no we had one outside right and that's because right. we just loved the dude and it was really good fun to hang out with um and on our second album we went too far the other way and went my word that was a lot of work let's have let's get some other people involved <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> honestly but that that in itself led like had its own issues as well on that record you work with mark ralph a lot is that right yeah i did a little bit of work with mark um what was it like kind of co-producing with him kind of having done the first record on your own that was um to be honest that was really good fun with mark because the ones i was doing with mark it was very often the difference by that point was a luna was living in the states Right. Um, so by that point, it was a case of me flying over to work with her, just the two of us and with other writers and producers. And she'd also start doing demos with other producers as well. And then me getting the parts and right. yeah, 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 doing my thing. And as you can probably tell by the tone of my voice, it was already getting quite convoluted by this <laughs> point. <laughs> and but like the fun thing with Mark was everything there was his like neat trick that he's got of doing the last. 15 to 20% of a song. It's great. I mean, like his, his studio is wonderful. He's always in a good frame of mind to work as well. Cool. I've learned a lot from him, to be honest. It's, um, like his, his, I think, is a really reassuring story of someone who's held down pretty much every job you can as a working musician or engineer or producer and peak at 40. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's really cool to see. Yeah. Yes. And it's not like... Because he started fixing the instruments at that studio, right? That was his first gig was he was brought in to maintain the gear. Right. Having been a session guy, I think he was a session musician. It was interesting. And it was, I was asking him about it, like what, you know, if he'd changed anything. Like, I, I mean, the dude's got an outstanding work ethic. It's, you know, it's pretty admirable how hard he works. Um but he was, he was sort of saying he doesn't do anything different from what he was doing 10 years before. It's just people now trust what he's doing is good. Right. It's, it's yeah. that simple. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's, he's like, he doesn't feel like he found a formula. It's just people were willing to listen more, I think, was what I took away. But, you know, generally, like, working with him was great fun. It was nice as well because we had a lot of pressure on that record and it was kind of nice to have a someone that you felt like was a safe pair of hands so what what were some of the sort of more difficult aspects of doing that record that had a lot more featured artists and a lot more other producers and 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 how did how did how did that feel for you as as someone who pretty much exclusively produced the first record um the difficulty was maintaining something i like i felt like sounded like us that's the hard thing when you get other things in involved um, yeah maintaining your identity even if you're pushing it in a different direction you know i think i think we both felt that to a certain extent which is like yeah that was the main difficulty for me was respecting that that the other producers we worked with were to be quite honest amazing at their job sure did i think it necessarily always sounded like an aluna george record no so going from that point and bringing it back to something that felt more like us and that and that's a weird sentiment in itself of if you're lucky enough to have something that has some momentum it sort of goes from oh these are just my preferences of what i like musically to 
I think this is what people expect me to be making. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting, yeah. I think as well, as you said, it maybe was a bit more common back then, but as a producer within a project, you did kind of establish a sound. Whereas if you're a band and you're working mm. with a producer, you're sort of expected to take your songwriting to the next record where you'll probably then work with a different producer and they might go, oh, this is a bit more FM rock or this is a bit more electronic because they worked with. Whereas you kind of had to cross that bridge of being, I'm simultaneously the artist, but I'm also responsible for the sonics of it. And as you say, the two records are almost the two levels of the extreme. Yeah, the flip side to it as well is when you have other people involved, um, you do sometimes get amazing things come out mm-hmm. of it and but I learned uh, I learned really early on is like never be too proud to have something that sounds amazing even though you haven't necessarily touched it yeah but early on one like one of the biggest things that our name was involved with was uh the song that Aluna was on with Disclosure mm-hmm. and literally my only involvement in that was like nudging Aluna to do the session in the first place right <laughs> That was it. It's like they they had requested to do it. She mentioned it to me, and I sort of said they had some really cool early demos. Yeah, and I was see. like, yeah, do it. They're great. And then, like, what I learned from that was, even though I had nothing to do with it, really, like the success of that song then bought my career a window of another three years to keep working to then keep going. Do you know, like, that's all you're sort of getting are these blocks of time where people are willing to trust that you can make music that's worth putting out. Hmm. So, and just going back to you as a producer, did did that, when did you start doing the sessions for other artists? Because like you said, it's something you always wanted to do. So were, um, you, were you doing that straight away? Here and there. That's, it's one of, the, one of the reasons why I stopped touring was because I was missing all these opportunities. That Really? Yeah, that and, you know, a few other things as well. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's kind of changed a lot from then because when people ask you or are asking me to do something off of the back of like the first album I did with the Lunars because they wanted stuff that sounded like that. Mm-hmm. So you just, you don't really, I, I didn't find myself like evolving a sound yeah, that c- much. That, that's not interesting for you, I, I can't imagine. No, it's, it's, it, people would be asking for, it was a weird, it was a weird time. People were asking for sort of 90s inspired R&B, but very few labels were actually releasing it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd have these new artists and like, oh yeah, we want this, and then eventually they'd do a house record, which would get released, mm. which was fine. But it was it was fun to meet new people. And um... George, one of the remixes you did at that time, am I right in thinking you remixed Coldplay around then? Yeah, I, I'm just interested in what it must be like working with something that's kind of such a big ship. Like, did a guy turn up in a black mask with like the vocal tracks and be like? you know, this is the passcode for the stems, or was it just like... No, I act, I messed up a bit on that. His, so I got told Coldplay were interested in working with me and to expect a, fo- expect a phone call. Wow. Wow. <laughs> How did you feel? It was, it was cool. I was like, but, you, I mean, you boys know what it's like. Nothing's a thing until it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can't yeah, get yeah, excited. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, like, bless them, it's one of the reasons my parents rarely ask me what's going on. Because it's yeah. like, if I told them every little thing that was potentially happening, it yeah. would crush my spirit to then tell them, <laughs> oh, yeah, those 99 out of 100 things didn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then literally, I don't know, it's a, a month later, I got a call from... As he put it, 
Hi, is that George? Yeah. Hi, it's Chris from the band Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. And that was cool, man. And he he uh, was like, for that album, their idea in the first place was they'd written the songs and as far as my memory serves me, they wanted to, they're talking to some other producers as well about basically getting remixes done of the songs, but having the remixes be the song. Amazing. Wow. Which was a quite a smart idea, just because yeah. it was a really remix-heavy culture at that point as well. Um, I think they did that, and I'm guessing the results they got back were just far too off the wall. Um, <laughs> so they, I think that they ended up just using Paul Epworth, I'm pretty sure, for the whole album. and just did. Which, which album did that end up being? Uh, Ghost Stories. And to be fair to him, he offered me, he's like, did you, do you want to come down to the studio and pick up, you know, and grab the stems? At which I should have said... Yes, please. That would be great. But just sort of the logical part of my brain went, no one does that. You just get sent. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, nah, it's cool. Just email them to me. It's fine. <laughs> so, l- luckily, we got to meet a little while later because uh, Aluna played a show with them. And Sick. Then... Yeah, it was, like, I'm not going to lie. It was, it's a weird thing when you get put in that position. At that point, I was like, ah, oh, these guys are about as big as it gets. And I remember telling my friends at the time, I was like, is this is this my chance to like pay off my parents' house or whatever? Yeah, Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah no, it, man, hundred percent. Like, I I can't remember. If I'm, I don't know if I'm nicking someone else's metaphor or whatever, but like, I've always viewed as every song as a lottery ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do. No one ever knows if anything's going to work, but you got a chance with everything. And then yeah. when it's something like that, you have an even bigger chance. And you know, and it sounds like a silly way to think, but. It, just being no, honest, just being honest very, about it. Very accurate. If anything else, it's a cool anecdote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very yeah, much definitely. so. Yeah, hundred percent. That's great. You made a tune with Mel C. Is that right? Uh, I just produced it. I got given a demo. I was oh, this is gutting. She she nearly came to New Malden, man. That's she what nearly... basically. <laughs> that's what I was asking. Yeah. So you... Oh, it was booked in, and then oh, like mate. Corona happened. No. And she... It was either that or she had some scheduling thing. And like the hilarious thing is like my fiance's got in her office like a Spice Girls little A4 poster signed by all of them from when she was a kid. That that was really that was really cool to be able to do that. It was I got given a demo that um written with Johnny Latimer. Yeah. Most of the chords and just sort of gave the song a vibe. It's it's really cool. It's a yeah. So you said you're picking and choosing much more the artists that you do work with now if you're producing them. How do you make that choice? Is it is it literally just listening to them and, and yeah. just hearing that there's something there? Yeah, to be honest. It's like, so recently, like, my biggest focus has been sort of with other new artists is with this lad called Masterpiece. Um, uh-huh. And that came about in, like, a super cool way. He literally just reached out and DM'd me and checked him out and was like, it, let's go. Let's, let's get in a room. He just sort of popped by and we instantly got on. He's just a, a real good energy to have in the room. Like super humble dude. Was good to go immediately. And we just sort of started working some stuff out. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like with Peace, it's very often a start from scratch. He'll go, give me some chords like this or these, can, you, can we start with this drum beat? Perfect, let's go. 
and mm. we just sort of build it and he's kind of really transformed what he's doing and he's got this weird like indie crossover thing going on and selfishly for me I've found it super fun because it's sort of been a chance to try and do something that I've never really been able to do in the past which is like make proper like indie pop rock <laughs> yeah. music <laughs> like, yeah, nice. yeah. which is just an absolute joy man like we've got something coming out for the next song pretty sure it's got a pinched harmonic on it yes like, <laughs> yes <laughs> Like, What's that song called? It, um, it's it's called Overdrive. Yeah, um, and it's, it's like and there's this other lad called Teo Sound as well. We've got something coming out with him. It's a lot more guitar based at the moment. You know, I think oh, about cool. it. Yeah, and you're playing the guitar on that, I assume. Just about. It's mm. um, the Red Light Fever is real, even <laughs> even when it's just me doing it on my own for some reason. <laughs> I know. When, when you're so used. To programming stuff, it's it's hard to go back to like, oh, I actually got to play an instrument now. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was never amazing at guitar, but my word, like, the better I've gotten at the computer, the worse I've become as an actual musician. Because you're aware that you can fix it. <laughs> and that's quite yeah. often less stressful than getting it right. I find time. myself fixing guitar parts and I'm like, 12 years ago, I'd have just practiced this and then played it and it had taken three minutes. But now I'm like, no, I'll do 17 takes. Yeah. Then I'll comp it. And it's like, why? Yeah. The struggle is real on that. But <laughs> yeah. And, and similarly with this lad, Teo. Um, so he goes by Teo Sound. And mm -hmm. heard a couple of demos. And again, he had, he had a voice that I hadn't quite heard before. I think that's super fun if you can work with someone who's got a voice that just you go oh i yeah, haven't heard this yeah. a thousand times today and like with him as well he's got that blend of i haven't heard it but i might have yeah you know what i mean it's yeah yeah, yeah yeah completely unique enough but also not scary unique yeah it feels familiar but you haven't actually heard it before maybe. yeah which is quite often golden ticket great pop music. yeah exactly yeah yes and, and the truth is the more i've focused in on doing what i believe in rather than what is available um yeah. yeah i'm getting more out of it like i'm getting more cuts and having a higher success rate through doing without spreading myself too thin i'm like enjoying it a lot more as well oh way more man she's like a double win right yeah it's you know i've never been the right 10 hits a year dude anyway so and i think this is important for a lot of people to think about like as a creative if you've had any if you've been lucky enough to have any success is like majority of the time the success has come from your own personal taste like there's always going to be someone that's better at whatever it is you do but with something creative it's your taste that really molds what it is not your talent necessarily yeah. like, or like i should say the taste is your talent yeah and the more i think about like going back to the aluna stuff that's some of the more successful stuff I've done. And that's just my own taste again and what I wanted to do a bit more. Mm. Which is why I like just leaning into the things I believe in and what I want think is worth putting my time into. It sort of yield, yields better results more often than not. That's great. That, that's, that's, it's honestly really positive and inspiring to hear that. Yeah, it, yeah it is because you do get, when you're trying to make a career from something, I think you really get pulled into trying to, tick certain boxes that you think might go and maybe if I can just hustle hard enough to be involved in this you're yeah. maybe not stopping to go 
do I like it or am I bringing what is needed to it? Um, and everything you've ever done that kind of got you into that place is probably just what you loved doing when you were 18 in your room with your computer or your guitar or. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it'd be interested to hear from you guys, like, especially with the Instagram studio stories world that we live in, you get the feeling. And a lot of people are, you know, in the rooms with different people, five to seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there is a place, especially in the songwriting world, of you, you really have to hustle to make a career because you get paid so appallingly as a songwriter and don't get paid that amazingly well as a producer, really, um, mm. unless you're a guaranteed hit. And I, and I understand that people do need to do that in order to pay the rent. It's so hard to not just go, well, surely if I just keep myself busy all the time, something's going to pay off going back to the lottery ticket sort yeah. of analogy. Mm. Like, you know, I see a lot of people and it does work for them, man. Like doing that hustling thing of just being, trying to get themselves in the right room all the time. Yeah. Like, like, do, you, do you boys feel that pressure to sort of keep doing that and keep working and being in with the right people all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely feeling that pressure to, to do more and, and do more stuff. And like, I think I'm probably, this is why this chat's been really informative for me because I think I'm doing a lot of maybe what you were doing three or four years ago of saying yes to everything because I just want as many chances as possible. But, you know, thinking about it might be spreading myself too thinly. I also think there's an element of yeah, how much work you do is kind of forms part of your self-worth in, in this job. Like, you know, it's nice to say that you're busy, like, oh, it's great to be in sessions every day and whatnot. Yeah. But actually, when you think about it, if if those sessions aren't going to have, have almost no chance of paying off with some good music, then it's meaningless. Shakespeare once said that music is the food of love. But what is the food of music? As much as the right microphone or guitar amp, what we eat or drink can be such a crucial part of a recording session. So each week we like to ask our guests, what do they cook or order to get the mood right in the studio? Session food tip, no. Because I've... And this is part of a campaign that I think should get started to get sessions to start earlier in the day. Solid. <laughs> because... I don't know, for years I had what felt like some sort of imposed industry standard of start at midday, right? Okay. problem with the midday start, especially with someone mm. new, is you say hi, you have a chat, you know, you don't, you don't just go into, let me yeah. play something. You have the catch up, let's say we're at half 12. Then you get in the room and you start the awkward dance of trying to get some music going. And I personally kind of want to feel like, and I think everyone does, you want to earn your lunch by having something you can come back to with some momentum. Yeah. 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 So then you fall into that awkward bracket of three o'clock and we haven't eaten. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yes. And, and then if you don't, if you're not super on the money at that point, then that slips to half three and you might as well just wait until you're done. And it's, yeah. I'm not saying I starve people, but. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but like going and like and the cooking thing, I I think I got sick of people being too picky about what they wanted. Yeah. Um, but my tip is to have good good coffee or something like that in the house instead. Nice. Yeah. yeah. If you can offer a nice hot drink up to a really nice standard, that 
that's as far as I'm willing to go, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't be cooking for your your artist every no, single time. No, I've, like, I've, I've fed people like just nice food that we've had in the house, and it's been fine. But I've always had this impression that they'd rather be eating something else that they've picked themselves. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But, um, but yeah, if you started at an earlier time, then yeah. You'd ha- you'd feel like you weren't killing the momentum by one mm. o'clock to. I-, I like starting at eleven for that reason. W- would you prefer even earlier? I think eleven's much better. Yeah, eleven. Mm. Everyone's got enough time to wake up, even if they've gone to bed at three. Realistically, yeah. yes. And... You also know that some artists like they're going to take that lunch, and like the post lunch come down means they're just going to sit on the couch for an hour and a half, and like that energy that you had when you were a little bit hungry and a little bit twitchy from the caffeine. Is just going to have gone. Yeah. It, it is good to have a break from what you're doing, but you need to have been doing what you're doing for long enough in order yes. for there to be yeah. something to have perspective yeah. from. Yeah, breaks like... are crucial, but yeah, there's no point using your fresh ears on nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet drum break. Yeah. Favorite reverb? Valhalla? Uh, yeah. Solid, yeah. yeah. Favorite Good answer. Favorite delay. There's two I'm really into at the moment. It's the again the Val delay, whatever that's called, the Valhalla delay they've done, and the Echo Boy, Echo Boy. Fa- favorite compressor. Um. Ah, the Wolf Comp. There you go. That one. Oh, nice. Ah, yeah. Cool. More than a compressor. <laughs> favorite synth, either soft or hard. Either is good. Um, favorite soft synth at the moment is the the Juno copy. Is it Taluno? The yeah. Tal one. Yeah. Cool. Just be- I just love the simplicity of it, and I got an OB6 last year, year before, which I still love. That's still nice. Fun to mess around with. Favorite microphone? I I'm not not a mic guy. Rich not enough to know? I I don't know. I mean, honestly, this the the seven B. Yeah, yeah. Just because they're very good. They're they're good enough. That's such a bad thing to say, but singers are comfortable with them because they're in every studio. Yeah, Yeah. they don't get that. They don't freak out when they're when it's put in front of their face. They're quite because they hold it in every session they're in. Yeah. So they generally sing pretty well with it as well. Very true. Um. So our next question is: What's the most important tool at your disposal as a producer? Computer. That's a bit boring. But no, I, I guess it beyond yeah. beyond the computer. Um uh, for me having like an actual keyboard, like piano yeah. keyboard I can play. I find it super hard to write music without an instrument of some sort. Mm. Like just clicking in the MIDI drives me up the wall. Well, thanks so much for doing this, George. Mate, been... thank you so much for giving us that time. No, absolute pleasure. It's nice to speak to you both. I love that interview. Thank you so much to George for giving us that time. What's interesting for me, Bob, is I have sort of known George by one degree of separation and and my band toured with Aluna when George wasn't on the road with Mm -hmm. us. And whenever I sort of would meet him in a bar, 
I always wanted to sit down and kind of have that chat with him. Yeah, me too. But as a fellow musician, that felt weird and a bit like invasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have a lot in common as well. Like again, yeah, he's from the same part of the world as 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 us, and he his band yeah was coming up at the same time as as my band Alpines. Yeah, we were always around at the same time, and I never yeah never really got a chance to have a good chat with him. There was one party I remember speaking to him for. A, about five minutes and I thought this guy is really nice yeah I remember hearing that body music record when it came out and just going like wow this record sounds amazing yeah. and just thinking like they've nailed a sound so perfectly here and 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 knowing as I knew then and as I now realize on an even higher level as we talked about like for George to make all that music with a Luna for the two of them to carry that themselves that's such a huge thing to have done and and yeah. amazing body of work to have created as, as as the producer in one of their contemporaries i was very much like how is he doing this production like this is yeah. it's really creative and uh j- just just awesome and i was always blown away by what he was doing and i guess that's like sort of my first takeaway is that the way the two of them george and aluna built this thing together and and george talks about it how it becomes a real hothouse for your talent, a real opportunity for you to learn as a producer and make those mistakes with someone you're comfortable with. I think that's a really good lesson for a lot of aspiring producers or developing producers to, maybe it doesn't have to be a band, yeah, you don't have but to certainly start to have these one or two people that you really can trust to learn with. Find some creative partners. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it was cool. It was really kind of smart of him to see that so early that that was his path to being recognized mm. as a producer. And and then doing it so successfully i guess maybe part of their success was the fact that they were they were just trying things and and yeah. being experimental and, and not too hung up on 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 the sound i think um i always think the most important part of any movie is actually the montage yeah like that's the most important bit of any sports movie or like um, yeah, like a, legal drama, yeah. and it lasts for ten seconds in a film. But that year that Aluna and George spent together making that record, that's where George will have really learnt these skills and really hot housed his talent. Yeah. And really, as you say, exciting time because you're kind of breaking rules you don't know exist and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And kind of linked to the to the idea of finding a creative partner as the, as it grows, and and his band did grow exponentially mm. he mm-hmm. was not too proud to let other people in and let mm. uh, let f- other bits of work that maybe he had less of a hand in come out and be part of the Luna george world like he talked about the work with disclosure and yes. that being one of their most notable records mm-hmm. and he, i think that's a really valuable lesson as well to just not let your ego get in the way of like oh well i you know, this isn't my song, really. Uh, yeah, I didn't pull this out of my deep soul yeah. or my yeah. Yeah, but you, if you recognise that there's something, some good work there, or some some quality creativity going on, and just bringing that and adding it to what you do, that's a really valuable skill. Definitely, and and that for him to realise that so early on is quite a mature decision. Like people can get very precious about their sounds or their production or their writing. Yeah. In in my band, I found it really hard to let other people in and and we didn't do any other like co-writes for ages and and didn't really let other producers in. And and looking back and and especially now we've had all these conversations with all these other producers uh, so far doing the podcast, I realized like there's so much that, that a producer could have added to, to, Mm -hmm. to what Catherine and I were doing at that stage that would have been would have been great and i think it's it's really hard when you're when you're protective of your work to realize that letting other people in can only be a positive 
George had another great point that was about not saying yes to everything. Mm. De- definitely let people in, but make sure on on the flip side of that, doing you're, that you're doing the right things, things that you feel soulfully are right for yes. you. That that really resonated with me because I think we talked about it in the interview, like the the pressure to to do more and to always be working and always be busy mm. is 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 ever present. And it's nice to hear from someone like George that he's had more success by doing less in that he's picking his work more carefully. Yeah, I would agree with that. I When I started working in production and, and writing, my mindset was I, I grind yeah. and I work. And if I could do sessions five days a week, I would have done sessions five days a week. Yeah, And part of that was amazing because I, I upskilled quickly and I learned a lot of things I needed to to learn quickly. The flip side was the bad sessions could sometimes move me back as much as they could move me forward. Yeah. Because you question things and you doubt things and you wonder why. And the way I am, I, you know, I would reflect that on myself. Yeah. And I had two or three bad sessions that kind of stayed with me for, you know, I'm not like six, 12 months yeah. because they weighed on me more than the successful sessions. Yes, had. they do. I know what you mean. I guess like, and I've been, I've been there as well. When you're putting your self worth on the amount of work you do and then, mm as a result make maybe bad decisions about what work you do and it doesn't go well then that that kind of that kind of builds into a vicious cycle doesn't it of like Mm -hmm. well i'm doing Mm -hmm. i'm trying really hard to do all this work and like the work's no good yes yeah and you do bad work yeah because it's not instead of being mature about it and going this is just not a great matchup or this skill set doesn't work like you wouldn't form a band with someone you didn't write good songs with but often with a as a product producer or a writer you do find yourself in these rooms where maybe that isn't happening well yeah, a lot of our interviewees have talked about um, how it's a producer's job to to create a safe space for the artist to create. But I think mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that going the other way as well. It, like to, to, to do your best work as a producer, it needs to be a safe space for you to create as well. Somewhere that you're mm-hmm. not, you don't feel judged or feel vulnerable or, or whatever. Yes. I don't think we think of it that way around as often. No, and I certainly didn't. I saw it as my responsibility to make it fly. Mm. But you're going to go on dates with people who one day will be married to the right person and they'll be lovely. And that date for you will be awful. Like yeah. it's not a reflection on either of you. This just doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. And I think particularly early on, it's important to build the right relationships with people because you're going to be learning on the job and you are going to make mistakes and you want to be working with someone that is understanding of that. Yeah. And, and it sounds like George and Aluna really had that. Yeah. So there's a balance to be had between trying, trying lots of things with different people, but also... Picking what I think is about picking what you're investing your emotion yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and what you need to do is you need to be open to working on things that could be interesting and develop you that mm. might not be immediately within your world. Might be challenging at first, yeah. Challenging at first, yes. While not just grinding for the sake of grinding. There's yeah. su- there's such a and I'm, you know, I'm a mature person who's made lots of records and released lots of music. And I still sometimes look at Instagram or Facebook and go, I'm not doing enough. I'm not working hard enough. Instead of going, I had four sessions this month and I enjoyed all of them and I made amazing music. Great. I think, yeah, if if you think about it, I mean, social media is such a huge part of why this problem is there. But I think if if you think about it like long term, if you did, like your example, you did four sessions in a month and they were all good. That's great. And if you zoom out even further, and if say at the end of a year, you've worked on 
12 songs that are great and are going to have come out or are going to come out, I'd be quite happy with that return. And, sure. if, and if you can get that from doing less but higher quality sessions, and when I say quality, I mean in terms of like you're feeling good about it and you're feeling soulful mm -hmm. about it, then great. And you've got more, yes. more spare time to enrich yourself in other ways. One of my favorite things George said, and uh, I think it's going to be the title of this episode, but um, your taste is your talent. Yes. That was a real really? light bulb moment for me. Mm. Like always, just if I think about myself in terms of how I would, when I was younger and listening to a producer like George in, in a Lunar George and thinking like, oh, wow, he's really great. I've, I've, you know, what's he doing in this song? I've got to try and do that. But that's just completely the wrong, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, way of thinking about it because I was doing something completely different that was also cool and... Yep. Just, just made the most of what my talents were, which are, which are quite different to George's. Uh, yes, and your talents will be who you are. Your taste will be who you are. Yeah, it's it's what I'd listened to as a teenager, and or or what I'd been through in my life, or just yeah, what the music I like and how I hear that in the landscape of music today. I'm, I think it's a really apt title for the episode. You know, possibly the most insightful moment of of, of what was a really insightful interview from George. Yeah, definitely, and. Um... Yeah, as always, I, I'll just take some of these ideas and I'll start weaving them into how I work and hopefully improve my processes from, from learning those. Definitely. Thank you for listening to The Process of Production this week. If you enjoyed it, please give us a follow and maybe even a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really helps. And please get in touch if you have any thoughts on the show, questions you'd like answered, or producers you'd like to see featured. We'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at process of production and our email is process of production podcast at gmail.com. Next week, we speak to my studio neighbor, Sam Klempner, about what it's like hearing your voice sampled on a K-pop mega hit and how his journey from assistant mix engineer to pop songwriter and producer extraordinaire has informed his process of production. <laughs>